Good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Jan Ewing, uh, and I'm on the leadership team at LCF, having been here since the 90s. Um, and um, in my day job, uh, I'm a family law researcher, and uh, one of the projects that we've been involved in is a long-term study on married couples. Uh, and we interviewed them four times over the first uh, 10 years of their marriages, looking at really what drives those relationships as they develop. What is it that means that some of them are thriving, some of them only just surviving, and some of them not even uh, sadly surviving after that 10 years? So Mike's asked me to speak about uh, my research, obviously from a biblical uh, perspective. Um, and because my research is on married couples, I'll speak predominantly about married couples. But actually, uh, the three things that I want to bring to you today apply equally to um, any sort of relationship. So uh, with your parents, with your children, with your family, with your friends, um, I'm hoping that it might be helpful to you. Um, and we only have time to scratch the surface today on uh, this subject. So um, we will be having an academy series called Building Stronger Marriages, a three-part series. So look out for that in the coming months. So then what uh, are these three things? Well, firstly, I'd say to you, uh, if you want to keep your relationships strong, then you need to guard your thoughts. Secondly, you need to guard your tongue. And thirdly, you need to guard your time. And why these three things? Well, partly because um, the, you know, the way that we think about our relationship can directly impact on the way that we uh, respond to our spouse um, and our behavior within our relationship. And secondly, we need to guard our tongue because what we say and sometimes what we don't say can have the power to build up or to tear down our relationship. And thirdly, we need to guard our time because if we don't nurture our relationships, um, then they will suffer. So why is it then uh, important that we guard our thoughts? Well, Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And what we think about our relationships, how we approach them, profoundly will it impact uh, on both our behavior within the relationship and also on our expectations within that relationship. Um, of all the people that I spoke to in my study, this man, uh, you know, really, really, um, I, I felt just kind of summed it up really well. So he, he talks about the fact, he said, look, if you make a promise, you honor it. And life's hard, and uh, you need to work at it. He says, it's a commitment I've made, and I'll stick with it. The way I see it, I've told my wife I love her for the rest of my life, and I'll stay with her forever. And I'm a man of my word, so I will. And of course, if you go into your relationship with that kind of mindset, uh, that you know, you know it may be hard work, but you're going to stick at it, then you'll probably go the distance. How we play our relationships over in our mind impacts how uh, they play out. And re researchers have found that often the seeds of emotional disengagement with our relationships are sown in our thought patterns. 
See, what happens uh, when we internalise our thoughts um, is that it's like we're getting a sort of um, internal magnifying glass and we're hovering it over our problem. And of course, all that happens then is that we, we magnify it, we amplify the problem. Um, so instead of internalising uh, how we're feeling, we need to um, you know, talk to our spouse about it because internalising is not healthy and it's not helpful. And if you find that you're doing that and you're sort of hovering your magnifying glass over your problem in your mind, then you need to really try and stop that in its tracks. In our research, we've worked with a life coach called Sam Owen, and I think that she uh, you know, really sums up well this negative spiral that we can sometimes get into in our thought life in a book she wrote called Happy Relationships, and she calls this the thought feedback cycle. So she says that if we think that our spouse you know, doesn't really understand us, then that causes us to feel sad and anxious. And when we feel sad and anxious, um, the behavior that that results in is that we'll uh, perhaps talk less to our spouse and we'll internalize our concerns. And when we do that, then the outcome is that our problems begin to fester and then as they fester, we feel distant from our spouse. And when we feel distant from our spouse, our thoughts become, you know, uh, my spouse doesn't understand me, my spouse doesn't care about our relationship. And so the cycle continues. And of course, the opposite of that is true uh, as well, because um, if our internal monologue is that our spouse does care about us and our relationship, uh, then we will feel nurtured and cherished, won't we? And when we feel cherished, then we'll behave positively towards our spouse. And when we behave positively towards our spouse, hopefully they will respond uh, positively. That will be the outcome. And as they respond positively, then that confirms our thinking that our spouse cares about us and our relationship. And that's why it's just so important to guard your thoughts. Um, Philippians 4 verse 8, I think, paints a really lovely picture of what it's like to, um, you know, apply this um, message uh, to the way that we think about um, our spouse. So it talks about the fact that um, it says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And for some of us, we need to you know, guard our thoughts and think about the positive aspects of our relationship. And of course, this isn't uh, just the case with um, our, you know, our marriages, our um, important relationships. It, it's, it's the same, of course, with um, our relationship with our family or our friends or our uh, parents or our children um, and actually dare I say it with ourselves because sometimes actually the you know the monologue that goes on internally isn't always about our spouse sometimes it's about ourselves and I know that I've said or thought things about myself you know that I, I would never ever think or say about anyone else so for some of us 
uh, you know, uh, we need to guard the thoughts that we have about ourselves as well as the ones we may have about our spouse. Um, and, and whatever is worthy of praise, these are the things that we need to start to think about um, you know, when we're thinking about our spouse. And of course, it might be that you have things that you need to deal with in your relationship, and I'm not in any way trying to suggest that you ignore them. I'm just saying that you know, we need to start kind of turning down the volume um, on that critical voice that we have, and instead think about what's commendable and excellent and worthy of praise about our spouse. So how do we do that then? Well, I'd suggest, um, firstly, that it's, it's good to try and notice yourself actually doing that and stop yourself in that moment in time. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, take captive every thought. And that's a really proactive way of thinking about it, isn't it? That actually, I will take captive every thought. It, it also recognizes that that's not straightforward and it's not easy, um, but you know, if we, if we try and catch ourselves in the moment before we start sort of spiraling uh, down that rabbit hole, down that vortex, um, then, you know, we can, we can sort of distract ourselves and, and uh, not go down that vortex. Um, and as we've just talked about, try and replace that negative chatter that may be going on in your mind uh, with what you admire about your spouse. And be compassionate because, you know, at the end of the day, your spouse is just a flawed person who is hopefully trying their best to love another flawed person. And so try and be compassionate in your response to your spouse. And lastly, you know, if you are finding yourself susceptible into getting into these negative thought patterns, then talk to your spouse about how you're feeling. You might need to tone down and reframe uh, how you explain it to them, but talk to them instead of to yourself. You know, vocalize how you're feeling rather than internalizing it perpetually. And so the second thing after guarding your thoughts is that you need to guard your tongue. You know, the Bible talks lots, doesn't it, about how devastating the wrong word at the wrong time can be. And words said in the heat of the moment can stay with us for years and years to come. And that's why the writer to the psalm said in Psalm 141 verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. You know, we've got to be guarding our tongue. Wise people in general, but particularly in relationships, are careful with their choice of words. So it isn't about biting your tongue, although sometimes that might, may be necessary. It's about how we communicate with our spouse. And the Bible's just full of, of wisdom on this. In uh, James 1 verse 19, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And what heartache could be um, avoided if we really took those words to heart? And I'll concentrate on those first two, um, because actually, when we are quick to listen and slow to speak, 
then often we don't escalate to the anger stage. And I've got three brief suggestions to make, and I'll draw on some of the um, interview research um, that we did because I think this illustrates the point well. So um, one of the husbands that I interviewed, I think he just put it so well, he talked about the fact that we need to keep short accounts with each other. In other words, don't get into debt with each other. Sort things out quickly. Because when we do that, you know, when we start to nip things in the bud and maybe really try and listen to why the other person is feeling the way that they are, then issues don't become deep-seated. So it's really important to nip things in the bud and keep short accounts with each other. I was really struck in um, one piece of research we've done. We've spoken to relationship experts and relationship counsellors, and we've asked them about, you know, what is it that makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy? And one of the people we spoke to talked about the fact that an unhealthy relationship is one where you keep returning to the same issue again and again and again, and it never gets resolved. Um, and it, it is, it's unhealthy um, to do that. So keep short accounts, sort things out, sh- uh, sort them out, um, you know, before they get deep-seated and then move on from them. And the second piece of advice uh, that I'd have for you is to tackle your problems as a team. Uh, again, this uh, lady I spoke to, she says, um, she said, we say to ourselves, right, okay, so we know there's an issue, how are we going to solve it? I think we're both very good at listening to the other person and saying, well, you feel like that and I feel like this, so how do we get past that and solve it? And that's just a, such a, a team-centered approach, isn't it, to the issue? It's just, yeah, there's a problem going on here, um, and let's listen to how we're each feeling about it, and then let's, as a team, think of uh, how we're going to, to solve it. And when you take that team approach to your problem, then uh, it's almost like the problem's you know, separate to you as a couple. Um, and um, you know, for this couple, unsurprisingly, uh, nothing seemed to uh, fester with them. So um, the third thing I'd like to say on this uh, guarding our tongue is that if your spouse says that there's a problem, then there is a problem. Regardless of how you feel, there is a problem. So this lady uh, we spoke to in a different project, and this was after she'd separated, and she said, you know, I'd say to my husband, "Um, I'm not really happy, I'm not feeling happy about our marriage, and I remember my husband saying, there's nothing wrong with our marriage. Well, do you know what? If your spouse says there's something wrong with your marriage, then there is something wrong with your marriage, and you must act on it. And I think that some of the negative spirals in our thought life that um, we talked about earlier, often they um, emerge because one of you will be trying to tell the other person that there's a problem, but the other person isn't responding um, to that. And then that's when you start to internalize and have this internal monologue. And researchers have found that very often relationships that go on to separate, that sort of um, monologue has gone on for quite some time prior to the separation. 
So it's just really important. If your spouse says there's a problem, there is a problem and you need to act on it. Because the trouble is, when we start to internalise, um, then what happens is one of us begins to emotionally in, uh, withdraw. Often one stops even asking for change because they're not confident that that change will come about or that the other person will really listen to them. And what they do is they begin to stuff that problem into um, what I've called the box of stuff we never deal with. And the trouble is, if you, you know, rather than dealing with it, if you just stuff it into the box of stuff we never deal with, eventually it becomes too full. And like a jack-in-a-box, you're going to explode. And, and very often, big, shouty arguments that seem to come out of nowhere happen because somebody is inadvertently, you know, poked the box of stuff we never deal with. So you need to be dealing with stuff. Don't internalize your disappointment. Don't stuff it into the box of stuff we never deal with. Because when you do, what happens is you're bound to say the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And I was really uh, struck as I was preparing this. Um, there was a, a story on the BBC uh, webpage, and it was about the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, Dan Reynolds, and uh, he and his wife had separated uh, three years ago, and he said that um, they hadn't even spoken to each other in seven months. All arrangements for their children were, were made through uh, third parties. And he was on his way to his um, lawyers to sign his divorce papers when his phone pinged, and it was a message from his wife, and she was telling him um, just how much she loved him. And he said that, you know, she vocalized it to me in such a generous way that day that I realized that actually, you know, this isn't what I want. And it made him rethink everything. And he said that once he, he got to the lawyer's office, instead of uh, signing their divorce papers, they went out to lunch, they talked things over, they got back together. And that was uh, three years ago, and they're still together. You see, it's never too late to say something. It's never too late to say the things that need to be said. And sometimes saying the right thing at the right time in the right way is as important as not saying the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. And the last thing um, I want to say to you is that you need to guard your time. Proverbs 26, verse 20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. If we don't uh, nurture our relationships, then the fire that once was our vibrant relationship will go out over time. And often relationships break down, not because of some huge infidelity, but actually because um, slowly relationships have just dwindled over time because one or both of you have taken your eyes off the relationship um, and because you stop nurturing it then the fire eventually goes out so how do we guard our time then well firstly be intentional about it 
because we have so many calls on our time that unless we're intentional, then very often it's our relationship that gets put on the back burner. And being intentional is more than just intending to do something. So uh, a few years ago, um, Matthew was at a, you know, a, just a GP appointment having a general checkup. And the GP said to him, oh, uh, Mr. Ewing, he said, um, do you intend doing any more exercise? And Matthew said, oh, I always intend doing more exercise. But you see, the thing is, you know, intending uh, to do it, but not doing it is not sufficient. And that's not what we're talking about when, we're, when we talk about being intentional. Um, to paraphrase a well-known saying, the road to the divorce court is paved with good intentions. So if you intend to take your wife out, but you don't do it, or if you intend to cook your husband a, a nice meal just to you know, show him that you really appreciate him, but don't do it, then those good intentions um, are no better than not having the good intention in the first place. So being intentional is about having good intentions, but then putting those good intentions into practice. And to do that requires us to prioritize our relationship. You know, add time to your diary with your spouse in, in the same way as you would any other diary commitment, and then keep that commitment. You know, sometimes we may need to say no to some things in order to say yes to our spouse. And that's not selfish. Actually, it's essential because making time for your spouse, particularly when time is at a premium, is a really potent symbol of your commitment to your spouse. And lastly, make it fun. Research has shown that relationships built on a firm foundation of fun and friendship are the ones that last. Time for fun cements your relationship. It gives you a memory bank of happy times to fall back on uh, you know, when life is tough. As one of the wives I spoke to said, she said, you know, friendship is the glue that sticks everything together. And the renowned uh, relationship expert and researcher, John Gottman, he talks about the fact that when relationships are in difficulty, therapeutic interventions that work on rekindling friendship are you know, the intervention of choice because rekindling friendship is the best road to recovery. It may not sound romantic, but relationships take work and wise people learn that very quickly. But if you nurture it, if you work hard, it doesn't become hard work. So make time for your relationship. And I just wanted to finish with some words um, from 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7 from the Amplified Version. And of course, these words are so often spoken at weddings, aren't they? But Actually, it's in the testing of our relationship over time that these words become really, really uh, pertinent, don't they? Because it says, love bears all things, regardless of what comes. It believes all things, looking for the best in each other. It hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times. And it endures all things without weakening. If you want your relationship to stand the test of time and to remain vibrant, 
then you need to do the three things we've spoken about. You need to guard your thoughts, as it says here, looking for the best in each other, in your thought life and also uh, in your words. So you need to guard your tongue too, and you need to guard your time fiercely. Thank you.